Welcome to Salem the Podcast. We are your hosts and favorite Salem tour guides. My name is Jeffrey Lilly. And I'm Sarah Black. And today we're going to talk about one of, I don't know, my favorite, I think everyone's favorite topics, and that is pop culture with Salem. In Salem, about Salem, Salem references. All of the above. Yeah, which is pretty cool because it's just like that's, it's Salem. You know what Salem is because of all the things that Salem has been woven into. And we're not just going to talk about the modern day interpretations that many of you are probably familiar with, but we'll also dive a little bit further back and talk about the beginnings of Salem's representation in pop culture mm-hmm. and why this stuff matters. But before we do that, obviously, we got to uh, do some housekeeping. We got tour time. Kind of. Kind of. Sort of. We actually did partake in a little tour time with a bunch of other tour guides this yeah, week. It was it was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Rockefellers. So if you don't know where Rockefellers is, Daniel O. Uh, company building right on the corner of Essex and Washington. And uh, they had a little tour appreciation night, which which was really nice. Yeah, so there was a bunch of tour guides from rival companies <laughs> getting a little tipsy off a of pumpkin beer. That's yeah. pretty much the gist of it. Which was really cool because uh, we, we tend to work like a really solitary job. Um, For sure. You know, like I go to work, I do my job, I come home. And that's like actually, you know, one of the reasons that we're even friends is because I was like, oh, you know, someone else who who does what I do. Let's, you know. Let's hang out and talk shop. Right. And, so, and this was neat because there was there was a lot of there tour. was a bunch of us. Yeah, I got into the habit of uh, asking everyone that I interacted with what their craziest question was on tour, yeah. or if they had any crazy stories. So that was a lot of fun. And and I think we were explicitly asked once or twice not to repeat those stories. I think there was one <laughs> individual that said probably six or seven times, "Don't put this on the podcast." So. <laughs> But don't those, don't worry. We are we are conscientious of what we take in and what we put out. Keeping your confidentiality, but it was really cool to be able to interact uh, with our peers uh, in in that space uh, from people who do both very similar and very different uh, things than we do. So thank you to Rockefellers for hosting. We had a mighty good time. That was that was much appreciated. And in addition to that, happy September. Uh, we are obviously coming to you live. Uh, you know what I mean, from Salem, and, and we have, have turned that corner into into the season. Happy Halloween. Yeah, we, you can go out, you can get your pumpkin spice lattes, you can get your pumpkin spice. I saw in the store, did you see I posted that? You, like coffee and Cheerios and, and, and cereal. Oh, and yeah. All the cookies. It is just, it is out of control. I walked, to, I have a Dunks right around the corner from my house. Obviously, I actually have two of them because this is Massachusetts. And I got two pumpkin coffees within a 24-hour span. And I was not ashamed <laughs> at all. It was so good. And then I went out of my way to buy pumpkin creamer because I figured I should probably be doing this at home. Right. The, uh, the spice must flow, as they say. <laughs> the spice must flow. Should put that on a t-shirt. That, that is not. <laughs> That's a reference to Dune. Oh. The movie and uh, the books by Frank Herbert. Oh. And that is not in any, anything. We can't. So we it, can't put that on a t-shirt. Is it copyrighted? I probably. It, the spice must flow. I, I feel. If that's not already out there, then, then where? You know, we should probably look into that. Speaking of t-shirts. Yeah. We kind of have a big announcement that we've been sitting on. Is there, can, is there a button I can push? Yes. Which one? 
I don't know. We took the labels off, so I have no idea what you're going to hit. No. <laughs> the other one. Oh. No. Stop. Yay. Yay. <laughs> Big announcement time. So we, we know you have been waiting ever so patiently for merch, and it is finally happening. It took us a little bit to work out the kinks, but I think we got it all taken care of now. So you can now officially go on to SalemThePodcast.com. And there will be a nice little button there that says shop. And you can follow that right to our store. That is correct. Uh, So you can go on there and you can get our logo t-shirts with the cool green smoke or without the cool green smoke, which is just a basic tee. You can get shirts for your your small humans. Uh, We got some toddler and and youth shirts, uh, mugs. Mugs. I know people have loved loved the mugs and also tote bags. And and that's all like sort of our own Salem, the podcast logo and branding. But we also got some other stuff that you worked on. Yes, we finally officially have a Tunnel Hunters Association. S- Salem. Salem. Star. 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 We gotta <laughs> do do the the do 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 do. Nope. <laughs> I gotta get the label back on that thing. So we put together a cute little Salem Tunnel Hunters Association t-shirt. So you can now be a part of our club. The cool kids who go down to the 13 miles of tunnels underneath <laughs> Salem looking for the prostitutes and opium. Yum. <laughs> I can't believe we're actually doing that. Uh, but yeah, go online. Uh, check out SalemThePodcast.com. Click on the link to our store and um, have at it. That's going to help support us, help us keep going with the podcast. And we are so excited to see people in our T-shirts. Yeah. And obviously, if you get the shirts, uh, go uh, take pictures, tag us on Instagram, wear them to Salem, uh, come find us. uh, And we would that would that would be awesome. Make our day, make our month. Year. And actually, speaking of, yeah, year, years, uh, <laughs> years, we will be dropping some other designs probably in early October, yeah. um, hoping to get them before then, but we'll see, we'll see. But uh, I think you can anticipate a, where do you keep your ectoplasm? Absolutely. As well as a haunted pepper. Of course. A staple of. The oh, podcast. <laughs> inside joke. People it, may give you some is, weird... Is the ectoplasm the inside joke? All of them are. Oh, <laughs> that's disgusting. But also historically accurate. Fair. <laughs> so again, thanks for listening. Check out the merch and help support uh, your favorite Salem podcast. Are we ready to dive in? Right into pop culture. Speaking of pop culture, you don't you haven't watched Friends, right? I've seen... A lot of friends. I don't watch friends. Have you seen the episode where Phoebe loses her voice? And doesn't she just she gets then, like, sick. Write th- writes things? She gets sick. Yeah, she, she plays guitar and she performs at Central Perk and she loses her voice and she thinks that she sounds so much sexier. Oh, it's all sort of. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then by the end, she's better and she is trying to get her sickness back. So heads up, I am just a little under the weather. Doing my sexy Phoebe voice right the, now. The the <coughs> like you're smoking the Marlboros, the cigarette. You're like, oh uh-huh. yeah, hey sweetie. Hopefully, be back <laughs> to normal by next week. Fingers crossed. But so, why is pop culture important? 
it's so pop culture is popular culture. So it is ingrained into the zeitgeist of the current whatever. And I find it so interesting because it is kind of a cyclical experience, mm-hmm. right? So we both inform our own pop culture, we produce it, but then, then we are also influenced by it as well. You can learn so much about a group of people or uh, a culture by examining their popular representations at that moment. So it's it's weird when you look at sort of like the meaning and the definition and, you know, sort of do some research into like the idea of pop culture, a lot of it uh, sort of he- focuses heavily on our modern media and uh right like which celebrity is in this week right but it's also like like tv internet radio movies books social media like the the way we ingest these lingo has become yeah it, it ingrained into that and so sort of i think there's like an idea that pop culture is modern where right. in which it's not not at all there are actually people that study pop culture from a historic perspective because it can show you so much about those historic communities. And speaking of that, I just want to preface this. Uh, We're going to be talking about a lot of different things today, a lot of different books, uh, television shows, different representations of Salem throughout time. But there's no way that we could sit down and read through all of them because I mean, they're we could. I mean we could but <laughs> you just if that was the us. no and I would only do it if I was like writing a dissertation on it like like doctoral you, you could yeah you could write and I'm sure someone already has you could write a dissertation on pop culture representations of Salem throughout time yeah. and, and examine how we as a society have interpreted the trials throughout time but that being said We only have a limited amount of time to work with, so we're going to briefly give some overview on the more historic aspects, but if any of you have heard of some of the books that we're about to mention or uh, can fill in some gaps for us, we are going to be doing a part two of this episode. This is is a a distinct two-part episode, and this is actually the first two-part episode that we're not doing back-to-back. So you're going to get this one, you're going to get a couple more episodes in between, and then just before October, uh, we're dropping Pop Culture Part 2, and that's going to be a lot of movies, and obviously, everyone's favorite, Hocus Pocus. So if you're sitting here being like, oh, they're going to talk about Hocus Pocus, oh, running amok and putting spells on, that's Part 2, because that's, there's too much to, to... That covers a lot. (laughs) Yes. So we're going to save movies like Hocus Pocus, Lords of Salem, and another fan favorite, Paranorman, for next, sorry, two weeks from now. Three weeks from now? Three. Three weeks from now. So where do we... So you had gotten a question. Yeah, about sort of how long Salem, as it is today, full of all this witchy, weird, has been Salem. And my sort of answer was probably more than than the guy was expecting Uh, because we can look back and sort of make a solid argument of like 20 years, but then you can also make a solid argument. 40 years. 50 years. The Witch Museum celebrated their 50th anniversary. Uh, Lori Cabot opens a witch store here 51 years ago. Or we can jump back to the late 1800s uh, when the Daniel Owen Company 
is making that souvenir spoon, which becomes one of their most popular items. This is like at the height of the spiritualist movement. And he's got a mail order catalog going out all across the, the country and people all over the country are buying this trademarked witch spoon. Uh, so there's, there's that answer. We could go another hundred years farther back. Uh, Revolutionary War, Great Age of Sail, which obviously at that point, probably not too steeped in like the witch trial stuff. But we've got ships in harbors all over the world. Salem is this world-renowned port city. So that's still ingrained into people's ideas. Right. And then you could jump back another hundred years and the witch trials are fresh in people's minds. So (laughs) take take your pick. So for this episode, we're going to try to focus heavily on the trials and their representations throughout time. Mm -hmm. And I think where we might want to start is with the first ever novel that was produced about the Salem Witch Trials. Now, this came out in 1828, written by John Neal, and the book is titled Rachel Dyer, A North American Story. So this story focuses heavily on George Burroughs, uh, which, of course, we just dropped a two-hour episode on. The, the infamous king of hell. The gentleman who recites the Lord's Prayer as he's about to be executed. Of course, he is a principal figure to latch on to. Although, if we jump across to 1950s and The Crucible, you're going to see a lot more of John Proctor and Abigail Williams. So. Yeah. But don't worry, we'll get to that eventually. This story also centers on a fictional character named Rachel Dyer, which I have to wonder, did they take the Dyer name from Mary Dyer, who was executed down in Boston for being a Quaker? Probably. I think it would definitely have been well known. You you see that a lot of times in pop culture, right? That's sort of either a partial name or a made-up name or a descendant name or a combined name. And, you know, we can a lot of times see that you're like, oh, wait, hold on. I I see where you got that from, but it's just not quite right. And a lot of these fictional stories that came out were focusing heavily on, what's the word? They were cautionary tales, trying to warn people about the perils of sexual promiscuity. It also tackles ideas of mob mentality, um, persecuting innocent individuals. And that's a common theme that we will see probably for the next 100, 150 years or so. I mean, that's that's what the crucible is. Right. Um, Which, by the way, we're going to keep sort of dropping the crucible and being, oh, that's the crucible, the crucible this. And it's a good reference point for people, I think. Yeah. But we... Uh, won't actually cover it in depth and in detail for another few months. We do have a whole episode planned on on talking about that. So. Yeah, I think we're going to end up watching the movie, reading the book, and yeah. doing like a pull apart comparison between what's actually accurate and what's not. So special special request from a listener. So yeah, thank so, you. Uh, apologies for just sort of continuously mentioning it in passing. Uh, we don't want to give too much away. Now you got to think. This came out in 1828. So what type of pop culture influences do they have at this point? It is very minimal compared to... So I think uh, one one of the things that's propagating any narrative of the day at that point is uh, Penny Dreadfuls. Yep. 
So those are sort of penny, uh, and they're sometimes comics, sometimes illustrated, written, uh, and sometimes they're a little dirty, a little nefarious, a little, you know, underbelly of the city, and that's driving a lot of pop culture of the day. And I actually, I, I didn't do a deep dive. I didn't find uh, Penny Dreadfuls on Salem, which I'm a little surprised about. Uh, they they are probably out there. They probably exist, and someone's probably going to shoot us an email and be like, "How did you miss this thing?" I hope so. Um, <laughs> but uh, that is one of the sort of driving forces of pop culture of the day, because again, they don't have access to the media that we have uh, at our, at our disposal today. And penny dreadfuls named for the fact that you could buy them for a penny. Mm-hmm. And if it sounds familiar to you, you may have seen the several season, I think it's three seasons, called Penny Dreadful. Mm-hmm. Um, stars Ava Green. Love her. Oh. Yes. <laughs> but that is a compilation of a bunch of gothic penny dreadful stories and some other uh, some other novels that came out afterwards. But this is kind of their their big they're taking in a lot of popular culture through print because obviously that's what we have back then. So newspapers and novels. That, that is their media. And even, even novels that we know and love today um, are released episodically in like little bits and pieces. Um, and, and this one, of the great ones, uh, Dickens Christmas Carol. Um, is that in pieces? I'm fairly certain. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, it would make sense with all the different. Yeah, I, I know a lot of D- Dickens stories were released episodically, and people would like you know frothing at the, at the t- to get it's their smart hands. like yeah. money wise to yeah. to sp- divide it up. And and so that's again sort of one of these. Imagine today, right? Like, cool, we get to watch you know the Netflix and and it drops the whole series that Sandman just came out, uh, which is one of my. I, favorite graphic novels be like oh my gosh i just get to ingest this all the time and then in contrast hbo's dropping like weekly uh uh, blood of the dragon and you're like oh my gosh i need the new episode so we have a little bit of a the same thing today just of course we get these huge dramatic things and their source of literature were, were a little different now this novel this first novel rachel dyer will go on to influence a lot of folks that you may recognize uh Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, Nathaniel Hawthorne, which of course we've mentioned several times on this podcast, Walt Whitman. So these are, you don't have the internet back then. So if people come across this story about the Salem witch trials, that may be their first encounter with it. And then they may be inspired to produce another version. And that's what we see after Rachel Dyer. You see multiple interpretations coming through print coming through plays even it, it it's real cool fascinating to to sort of look at that and compare it to today where in which our the speed of our something i don't know what the word is is incredible like you get something drops and something's inspired and something you look at tiktok and it's just like boom and these trends trends just go these trends it's still it is trending it's just slow moving at a much slower pace Another one I forgot to mention was paintings. Think about artwork that would have came out. I'm thinking back to one of my classes. It was our 
capstone course. So we had to put together a nice hefty 25 pager about a topic of our choice. And I covered the witch trials. This was before I even knew I was moving to Salem. Um, but my dad had lived here. So I had a little bit of influence. Someone else did the witch trials in class and they had incorporated one of the old paintings about the trials. And I believe it was the one that is sitting in the PEM right now in the Peabody Essex Museum. They have it on display. Is that the George Jacobs? I think so. The trial of George Jacobs, August 5th, 1692. It was painted by Tompkins H. Matson, And he actually did two paintings. Uh, the other one's called Examination of a Witch. Yes. And those came out in 1855 and 1853, respectively. They are, in sort of a historic context, like the, the image right. of what happened here in Salem. Uh, they have become. But a highly dramatized yes. vision of it. And I remember this kid incorporated it into his paper. Honestly, I think he was just trying to make his paper longer. But <laughs> eh. hey, I did the same thing with woodcuts. But that's a difference, right? So he incorporated this piece from the 1850s. And our professor was like, you can't use this. If we're, if unless you're talking about historical representations post-trials, this has no pertinence because when you're doing history oh, 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 research, oh, 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 he, was, he was looking for primary documentation. No way. That's not. That is a post-trial representation uh, almost 200 years later. So whereas I, not to toot my own horn or anything, this sounds oh, no, terrible. To, to, toot your own horn. I went and dug back and looked at some old woodcuts that were being produced over in England and would have ha would have informed their understanding of witchcraft in 1692. So those are types of pop culture. The witch itself and the idea of the witch, that would have been transmitted through these woodcuts, through these pamphlets, through probably some penny dreadfuls over in Europe about witches and hunting witches and witch practices. And it was interesting to see you know, you don't think about that. You have to think about the context of where these sources are coming from. When? When. Because we look at it all. I can go on online and look at, you know, these paintings by Madsen and the wood carvings and look at them side by side. And they're both feeding my pop culture reference today. And yet there's 150 years between them. You know, like that, that's, that's generations worth of time. <clears throat> and then what's really cool to sort of look at is then see how these pictures, paintings, and drawings have then inspired the media that we get that we feel is so common to our narrative because it's not just made up. Everything is built on something. Yeah, history does not, we've said this before, history does not occur in a bubble. And there is something that informed us in this very moment to get to where we are. Everything that you have consumed, it is built upon over the last millennia. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's right and sometimes it's wrong. And like uh, we, we talked about Bewitched, which we'll probably talk about again in a little bit. But that historical scene when she's put on trial. Right. Right. And they're all like dressed like these pilgrims of the 19th or that idea of like the big hat and the white and the buckles and you're like that's we know now a little historically inaccurate but what i find great is like you look at that image and then you look at some of these 
mid 1800s paintings and you're like well that's clearly where they got that narrative from right and i think if we not to bring up the crucible again but if you were to pick anyone if you were to ask anyone who was born around the 50s, 40s, 30s about the witch trials, that's going to be their initial interpretation. And actually us too, because I know a lot of us probably had to read it in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, They're still throwing it at us, you know, 70 years later. So it's interesting to think about how we all consume this image of a witch and how we inform our understanding of the trials. And this image of Salem. Yes. So I got a question uh, while I was taking the fame a couple weeks ago from that really awesome gentleman, uh, Ethan. He asked us what our research process looks like. And we already mentioned that if we wanted to sit down and analyze all of these works, it would take years to do. Uh, But that being said, a good resource for you to check out if you are interested is Wikipedia. And I know that sounds ridiculous. And yes, I am a historian saying this, but so, it's not that it's not that crazy. I think we still have an idea of Wikipedia from 15 years ago. Yeah, when any, I mean, anyone can still but change it, but it's heavily vetted now. And it's sourced and you can see the edits and you can see who changes them. The, 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 it's, it's a much better resource today. And one of the great things is that they have... Uh, a compilation and they have sources like at the bottom you can go and you can look at the reference so if you have a question about something like oh what's the historical accuracy of this thing and you go and you look and you look at their references you can then click into the reference and look at the source material and expand your source base they tell us they told us in in grad school don't shy away from wikipedia it is a great jumping off point never cite it in your papers because you want to go back to the original source, but it's a great way to kind of get an idea of that source base. And in this case, like you said, they've got a great list of all of Salem, of all the cultural depictions of the Salem witch trials. So if you just type that in Salem in pop culture to Google, it's probably going to be the first thing that pops up. So this is kind of, this was our jumping off point. And I, I went through and I was like, and loads of books and, and things that I'd never heard of, never read, many that I had read, many that I had seen. Uh, and then I'm going through comics, I'm going through TV, I'm going through video games. And one of them just stuck out to me, and which will probably, which I'll, I'll mention now, um, is the game Fallout. Oh, have, yeah. Have you, I rem- I, I, <laughs> I do not play video games. Okay. But when I heard that the Witch Museum was a featured location in that game, I had to find it. Like right. I, I immediately I, looked it up. I think everyone did. And I think, uh, so I was, I wasn't in Salem at the time. This is seven years ago or so. Uh, is it really that long yeah, ago? Yeah. Holy crap. See, but it's, it's so Wikipedia, thank you. The 2015 video game fallout four, uh, comes out, but I'd forgotten. Like I'm sure I knew. And back in 2015, I remember uh, a friend of mine was like big into. I was like, "Oh, this is so cool!" And being from Massachusetts, being from Boston, you everyone, it was a big deal that the Witch Museum was in Fallout. But I had totally forgotten. So without like a really cool resource like this, that just might we would have had to sit here and try to you know, right come up with what are all the things that we know. And I'm sure a lot of people are 
familiar with Salem and the Salem Witch Museum, but say someone knew nothing and then they pop in fallout and they're wandering around in Massachusetts and they just happen to stumble into Salem. They're like, wow, (laughs) this place is kind of cool. It may not be the real version, but it might prompt them to come to the real version or learn about the history. And that's just yet another page or fold in this pop culture narrative. And it's, it's fascinating that we start wherever you want to start on this timeline and we're looking at either woodcuts or we're looking at paintings or we're looking at a reference in a video game. They all add to the narrative that is Salem. Now I will say looking back at some of the, now when you look back at some of these older interpretations, you're going to see a lot of the same names pop up. It seems like they focused heavily on a certain set of characters, which I mean, I guess that's how it always goes. Maybe we're just really reaching into the depths and want to touch on all of them. But you will see time and time again references to Giles Corey. Of course, his story is iconic. Rebecca Nurse, your poor old grandma who gets accused of witchcraft and somehow still ends up being executed. Or Bridget Bishop, the woman who speak, which obviously we know more today and we covered this in the episodes, but that for a while it was uh she was uh this harlot harlot thank you a vocal woman speaking out against you couldn't keep her down she had this loud voice which had been attributed to the idea of a witch for a very long time so they so she is a reference to that narrative in 1868, we see a play come out by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow called Giles Corey of Salem Farms. Probably Longfellow is a name most of you are familiar with, but most of you are probably also familiar with uh, one Mr. H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, and Lovecraft, uh, in his horror writings, creates several fictional cities. And many of those, the idea of those are sort of an amalgamation of many North Shore cities, these sort of coastal waves, dark, sort of scary. It's not kind of like uh, the precursor to uh, Stephen King. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he his actual Arkham uh, location is based off of Danvers or the the Danvers State Hospital. Uh, so he utilizes that. He utilizes Salem, uh, and there are several stories that he has sort of cherry picked some characters. There's Crown and Shields in some of his stories um, and refugees from the trials that also uh, utilizes in some uh, Connecticut stories as well. And so we can see that even just like the tiny little bits of the idea of Salem, someone like Lovecraft gets into his stories. Yeah. It's not just the actual story itself of the witch trial persecution aspect, but it's also the thematic side of it. So you see that in Hawthorne as well. Scarlet Letter. He definitely had an opinion on the Puritans and their belief system and their persecution of others. I'm sure we've all had to read that one in high school as well. You've got Hester Prynne, who has a baby out of wedlock and is punished by the Puritans, forced to endure that public humiliation, and pin that scarlet A to her dress. So these ideas of persecution, people in power that then abuse that power, and of course we all know that he is the great-great-grandson of Judge Hathorne, Mm -hmm. so this idea of 
family guilt and it proceeding throughout generations will also come up. And Hawthorne himself has such a unique perspective because of that and because, of course, he was living in Salem for a time. Which was also at the same time of the murder of Captain White, and he reported on that, which I think we mentioned in that uh, episode about how you can see those tropes as well in his writing. He is heavily influenced uh, both by his uh, generational trauma and the things that he bore witness to in the society of Salem at that point in history. So I think uh, when it comes to books, we get a good spattering coming out of the early 1900s. Well, yeah, because what else are you supposed to get? You can't produce TV shows. Well, I th- I think, um, and I'm not sure, I was looking at it, I don't know exactly like where it latches on, but this is sort of towards the end of the spiritualism era. And I find it weird, and we're going to talk spiritualism later, but that... There's not a whole lot of witch stuff going on when it comes to the spiritualist movement. We have this idea that there is a we can communicate with the dead, and there's these seances, and we've talked about the Ouija boards. Thank you, John. Um, but there's not a lot of Salem references. But sort of as the spiritualism movement dies down, we do in print get to see a good amount of uh, Salem stuff and this is coming and I think and I'm just sort of theorizing here this is also when we get a, a we see a, a rise in more classic horror and the witch gets attached to that uh, so we you know we get like Nosferatu and you know Frankenstein obviously Shelley publishes much before that but you know, when we get these videos and these movies you know that even the silent ones of these horror tropes the witch gets attached to that aspect, which, again, I probably, you could do a whole study on this. <laughs> so my my response would be, I, I appreciate that it didn't come up that much in the midst of the spiritualist movement because, as you said, they, they're trying to communicate with the dead. They Some of these superstitions mm-hmm. are, are coming to the surface. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, they weren't witches. Right. So, like, right. I hope that the reason why, like, most of these are not in reference to witchcraft. Yeah. They are they are interpretations of that persecution. Yes. So, if anything, I appreciate that. Yeah, and you know what? That's, that's... You, gotta, you gotta be careful about, like, how, of course, a lot of the modern-day things that we're about to talk about, they, the, the Salem trials get just shoehorned shoehorned in ingrained in it becomes part of the lore of that storyline but it's not until these more recent pieces that you see them capitalizing on this idea of them actually being witches which if anything kind of sucks for us because then we have to deal with the people that come on tour and ask about real witches and i always have to remind people they were not witches these were Innocent victims. And I actually had a guy, and I love this question. He asked, does anyone think that any of these folks were practicing real witchcraft? Folk magic, maybe. Uh, We talked about Bridget Bishop and her supposedly having the poppets. Like, the idea of folk magic was widespread. But at the same time, the idea of a witch in the Puritan mind 
is a supernatural being, someone who you see in Sabrina, the teenage witch, who's literally about to sign the remake, about to sign on her 16th birthday, sign her name in the devil's book and, and give herself over to the devil. And then of course her powers will mature. So, Which is exactly what they... So it, it's real weird. Because, yeah, no, I, I agree. It, it's great that it was left out of that spiritualism movement. And then it gets attached to a horror trope. And then it develops through the next century. And now we're bearing witness to what we all sit here and see and watch in Sabrina. And you're like, ah, there you go. So speaking of, let's see what we got. Do we, do we want to jump on the TV shows or... Yeah, I will say... Um, just real quick to give people a reference point, and I know that we're going to save film and movies for mm-hmm. part two, but the first film to ever come out having to do with the Salem Witch Trials is called Made of Salem, and it came out in 1937. So just as we're getting these books in print as well, this is when uh, we start to see uh, more historical depictions alongside that, because in The Crucible, what, 20 years after that? What did you say, 37? 52. 50, sorry. So maths. It's okay. Whatever that is. We do history, not math. Yeah. 50, 53 minus 37. Should we put out a for history t-shirt? For history. Yeah. Sure. Consider it. Considered. We also have some radio worked in there, which, of course, before the time of mass-produced television shows and film, the radio was a tremendous communication tool. You know, fireside (laughs) chats from uh, Franklin D. Roosevelt. This is another way that people are taking in en masse these ideas. Well, So you were just talking about the the movie in 39, sorry, 37, 38 is when, uh, speaking of radio, we have the uh, War of the Worlds radio broadcast. Ah, (laughs) so we got more supernatural stuff. Well, where people didn't realize that it was just a book being read, and they thought it was a radio address of an attack. Oh my God, stop, I did not know this. Oh my God, are you serious? Yeah. Oh, no, 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 no. When it's first being broadcast on the radio, there was like widespread panic. Oh, yeah. Are you kidding? No, I'm not kidding. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. I guess if you just turned it on and you did not catch the beginning prelude. Uh-huh. Holy crap. Uh-huh. I need to look into this. Oh, it is. That's it is crazy. One of my favorite, favorite. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Be careful about what you put out, people. <laughs> Disclaimer. October 30th. 19. So it's Halloween, obviously, bigger today than it was. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, uh, the radio broadcast of War of the Worlds. So CBS actually takes it upon themselves to come out with a dramatized version of the Salem Witch Trials for a radio program called You Are There. This came out in 1947. I think we're going to have to go back and listen to some of these. I'm sure they're not hard to find. I'm sure some of them are gone forever because, you know, uh, sources become obsolete. But fire film used to be. Right. (laughs) <laughs> Stupid highly flammable. flammable yeah now jumping forward a few decades uh this is not one that i'm familiar with but have you ever seen the sci-fi show voyagers voyagers i don't think so 
You're, you're, you're going to tell me about it and then I'm going to like remember that I've totally seen it. I think we're going to have to go back and watch this episode. But apparently they do an episode on the Salem Trials on October 31st, 1982. They, so of course, Halloween, they aired an episode called Agents of Satan. And the quick synopsis, uh, they have to save the mother of Benjamin Franklin from being burned at the stake during the Salem witch trials. <laughs> Why? Why? Oh. So this oh. is something that's that's going to come up in these modern day interpretations. This idea of burning, which perplexes me to no end. How on earth? I mean, I get why people would think that that's what happened, but like, come on, we see it time and time again in a lot of the modern representations, which I will mention a couple more in a second here. So let's see. Let's. Uh, I, I think the first. I mean, you mentioned the, the CBS radio program, but then, of course, I think the the big, the the stepping stone, the the jumping off, the whatever is Bewitched. Yes. Yeah. We skipped over that one real quick. We got we got a whole episode on that. Go back. Uh, we talk. We watched all the episodes. We went episode by episode. Yeah. yeah. And that was fantastic. It was so much fun. Uh, but that's really one of the things that sort of jump starts, I think, what's going to come next. And I think we can also tie in. I think we mentioned this in the in the in the episode, Adam's family and um, the monsters. So it's an era of these characters, yeah. these tropes. Yeah. And of course, everyone was watching Bewitched back then. So perhaps people had never heard of Salem before. And yet they watch those episodes, the Salem saga, and they are their interest is piqued. And then they come to Salem. We know that this is kind of one of the big jumping off points for not just these characters in popular culture, but also Salem's tourist industry as well. So it's just going to keep feeding into itself. And you can still go and get your picture with Samantha in modern day. So just forever churning that wheel. So coming off of that, uh, what's another favorite TV show? Oh, I'm going to talk about my favorite. Do do we want to talk about your favorite? Do we want to talk about some of the other ones before we let you go for like the next 45 minutes? Okay, calm down. I'm only going to go for like (laughs) three and a half minutes, Uh, but I'm going to (laughs) try. Actually, do you know anything about the Salem lore in Harry Potter? If I remember correctly, the U.S. version of Hogwarts, like the school for witchcraft and wizardry over here, is very much based on this idea that this woman, this witch, came over, I think, on the Mayflower? Yep. And then sees persecution in her community and ends up creating this school for other witches and wizards. So even in Harry Potter themes- Okay, whatever. It's dumb. It's real dumb. She had no idea what she was writing when she wrote the history of the American school. Literally. Uh, I believe the character, uh, she takes a, what do you call it when you change someone's... Transfiguration? No. Oh. Name. So, oh. <laughs> so, 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 so she takes an actual passenger on the Mayflower and changes their name just slightly. Like it's the same, uh-huh. like, you know, like John Smith to like, you know, James... Thatcher or something, right? Like, yeah. Like it's a very, she, so she based on that supposedly, and she makes her character an Irish immigrant. So it's this Irish person who had fled, perse- uh, had fled religion, excuse me, had fred- fled magical persecution in Ireland and was like hiding in England. And then somehow this young Irish woman finds her way on the ship full of the pilgrims. So A, that's not a thing that would have ever happened. Um, and then they get here 
and she clearly has no concept of where Plymouth is and where she decides to set up her school. She's like, oh, the woman like fled into the woods and you're like, right. And wasn't immediately slaughtered by the indigenous people or animals made it all the way out to Western Massachusetts where she meets some other people who look remarkably like her and sets up this school. And it is a large enough school in like 1634 that they're already like taking students. (laughs) Does that predate Harvard? I think it does. like, Like you read it and you're like, if you have any, it's just, it's so stupid. Um, she doesn't talk about Salem in it at all. Uh, she doesn't talk about, uh, she shoehorns in, uh, uh, indigenous cultures into like being then clearly utilized in this English school. And you're like, wow, I'm not sure you're intentionally, uh, like, like, like servants. Uh, well, so no, oh. but yes. So, um, with the indigenous culture, they have their own, uh, myth mythological creatures um in the books no no, no in in reality so okay. within like an the america uh the indigenous cultures of the americas there are beings that they understand as supernatural in some way shape or form right and uh rowling like an idiot uses these creatures as like the houses and whatnot in like a horn serpent and a thunderbird and stuff and you're like so this white Irish woman is then coming in and establishing a great school of magic. And you're like, oh, really? Because were there not people here already? Sure. Let's keep having that discussion. And then, like, the houses are named after these creatures, these great, wonderful creatures that she discovers here. And you're like, "Uh uh-huh. Yeah. And then there's a whole group of them. They're like, puck, puck, widges, something. And they... Uh, she saves one of their lives. And then like as a race, they decide to help and live like at this new school, just like house elves. And you're like, uh-huh, cool. Interesting. Let's keep just writing stories like that. Yeah, not the best. No. Definitely not a good interpretation. No. But going back to television, there was an episode in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Well, that's probably because Willow was a witch. Yes. So her and a couple other characters are at this sentence to be burned at the stake it's i told you it keeps coming up especially in the 90s it was a big thing and well, this it's is like a like a i don't want to say sexy because that's not the right exciting, exciting i guess we will what do you like what's flashy yeah flashy exciting also and i'm just gonna totally make this up as it like hits my brain a thought to us quote-unquote americans uh, hanging is typically like a, a Western wild West you're hanged cowboys deal. So maybe at some point someone was like, Oh, witches are burned and they just latched onto that and they didn't, it gives a, it gives it a little more old world European mystery, exciting feel instead of the wild, wild West feel. Right. They just needed a different trope. It makes me wonder if the writers like made that a conscious decision. Do they just automatically throw in there, oh, they're going to be burned? Or did they actually go back and look at the, the resources and decide, you know, this isn't good enough. Like we need, to, we need to make it a little bit more, give it some more oomph, I guess. I think probably, probably somewhere, and I don't know, maybe one person at one point was like, oh, you know, let's, let's make it a little more exciting. 
and everything after that point, they used that reference. I bet we could, if we dug and, and searched, we could probably find out what that was, like the first reference of a burning, and then everyone latched onto that after that. Well, it's funny because we talked about this in the Bewitched episode when she's back in time and she's about to go on trial, and remember Darren is she stuck in jail? Him. No, he oh, corrects sorry, sorry. her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the jailer says, we don't burn witches here. We hang them. So, like, they had it right in Bewitched. What was it about the 90s that, like, brought the flames? I don't know. It was the 80s. It's also used in Charmed as well. So, yes, that is my favorite television show of all time. And I'm just going to use this as a personal plug moment. If anyone has any connections to Holly Marie Combs, please let her know that we love her. I love her. And Obsessed. Uh, uh, slightly. You want to know who my favorite witch of all time is? It is Piper Hollowell from Charmed. <laughs> Hands down, without a question. And... Her and Brian Krause, who plays Leo, they were both at a Comic-Con right when we were about mm. to drop our first batch of episodes. So whereas I could have gone down to Connecticut and met them in the flesh, I was here editing the episodes. So if anyone wants to help me correct that missed opportunity, I would be forever grateful. And guess what? They're coming out with a podcast competition. I'm so freaking <laughs> excited. It's I, it's probably one of the most exciting things to happen to me all week. But yeah, the Maybe maybe we could advertise our podcast on their podcast. Maybe. We'll see. Uh, that might be something we could that, that sounds fun. I feel like we would have to dish out a lot of money for that. Probably. <laughs> They've probably got quite a few subscribers already. Buy merch. Charmed is it Charmed is an iconic Charmed is an institution. In my opinion. What, what, what did you think of the uh, new one? Uh, re redo is not the right word. Remake. Remake. What do you think of the remake? Uh, I watched an episode and sorry. It's just, it's a part of my childhood. So I couldn't get into it. Mm -hmm. I remember, and I was actually chatting with someone last night about this. I asked her if she remembers the first episode she ever saw. I remember the first episode I ever saw. I was like nine years old. I was stuck at home sick, and my mom would watch Charmed while we were at school. So, of course, she throws it on. I think we talked about this at some point. Not on the episode, though. Not on here. Okay. Oh, you maybe you and I just talked I've about talked it. I've talked yeah, about yeah, it. Yeah, okay. Because then I remember saying, like, it was on, like, a back-to-back. -back. Yeah, it's it's it was always on from four to five and five to six yeah, yeah. on TNT, yes. I would come home and watch Charmed for two hours every single day. The first episode I ever saw was the finale of season four, where Piper Hollowell finds out that she's pregnant. And then we go right into Mermaids in season five. So like, how do you not get hooked? Obviously. But the Salem references are, I don't know, I don't know if funny is the right word. Um, it's entertaining for me to, to go back and really notice the moments because they're very subtle. So the lore is that the first witch in their family, and they talk about this in episode one, the pilot, the first witch in their family, Melinda Warren, died in 1693, and she was burned at the stake in Salem. Well, I appreciate the jumping off of the 1692 trope. Uh, which we talked about last week or the week before. Uh, but that's not quite... Was not, it Mary not, Warren? 
Is that what they were trying to do there? Oh, I never even thought about that. Like we said. Yeah, Melinda Warren. Maybe. Suspiciously. Interesting. Yeah. Burning also comes up in, I believe it's the second or I think it's the third episode where Piper, uh, Holly's character, is afraid to enter a church. She has just gotten her powers and she truly believes that witches are innately evil. So she is afraid to enter this church and she, the reason behind it, she was watching a documentary and that documentary, which they must have had to create this for that episode, talks about Mary Esty, Rebecca Nurse's sister. And they say they got the name right. But then they say that she was burned in Salem. Oh, actually, I don't even know. I don't even know if they say she's burned. They say that she tries to enter a church and she gets struck by lightning before she makes her way in. And it's this whole idea that a witch cannot enter the home of God. Caleb Pickman. Exactly. Hey, <laughs> you never know. It wasn't his mother's house, but hey. That, you never know. They could have pulled these little these little Salem threads. Stories. So yeah, stuff like Charmed has it all just sort of thematically woven in there, like uh, Sabrina, They're the old one, because the cat is named Salem. Right. And then they also go to Salem. Mm-hmm. So that episode is hilarious. It, have you seen it? No, no, but I was going to say in every other episode, they just, they're, they're not talking about Salem. But they say Salem. Say it over Salem. and oh, over Salem. and oh, over Salem. Again. And Salem's talking and Salem's a cat and Salem's here and Salem's black and Salem's this. And it's just like, obviously, Salem's a familiar. Salem, he's a war, he's a warlock trapped, whatever, for yeah. horrendous crimes against humanity. But either way, you know, he's just like <laughs> over and over and over again, Salem. But no, I mean, okay, I probably have seen the episode, but I haven't seen, You watched it. I've watched it like twice this year. Okay. Uh, once I found out that there was a Salem episode on Sabrina, I think I discovered this when we were doing our Bewitched episode. I immediately threw it on and it's quite humorous. She is sent on a field trip with the rest of her classmates to historic Salem. They obviously did not come here. Uh, looks a lot different. It actually gives very um, Colonial Williams vibes like dirt roads there's a stocks right in the middle as if it was you know the old town square and they play a game where they're all given a piece of paper and that paper has a title on it towns person or one person has the witch card When Sabrina's given her card, she refuses to look at it. She actually doesn't want to come to Salem at all because she thinks, you know, this isn't the best place for witches. I don't think I should be going here. Smart girl. And quickly into the episode, one of the kind of bullies of of the storyline, she starts starts accusing another classmate of hurting her. The classmate had chosen the cute boy for her partner, and the bully of the story was not keen on that. So she starts acting afflicted, just like the girls did. And then a couple other classmates join in. And then they have a full-blown trial. Uh, Just like in Bewitched, Sabrina actually does pull out some actual magic, uh, does it right there in the courtroom. The science teacher goes, what we just saw was a random ball of light, a highly rare phenomenon, but they could totally just like brush it off. And at the end, the teacher says that no one had the witch card. Y'all kind of ganged up on these individuals and the whole theme, the moral 
is it's human nature. Mm-hmm. People are going to persecute folks that they're afraid of or that they think when are you're different. Told there's a witch amongst you. I love that. Yeah, it was really it, it was really well done. I enjoyed it. So let's uh, cover a couple more major ones here. Do you want to talk at all about one of your favorite other favorite shows? Salem. <laughs> oh, I got Jeff. So we had this agreement uh, this year. He would introduce me to Doctor Who because I had never seen it. And I would introduce him to Salem, the TV show. Now, I'm sure a lot of folks have heard of this. I actually had a somewhat intoxicated woman on tour last week. And when I asked them how much they know about Salem, about the trials, she's like, is it anything like Salem, the TV show? Sorry, no. no. I, they, they actually had witches in that show. Yeah, so it is, uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, it is sort of a historical fiction where uh, we have an actual Salem set in the right period with several of the main cast of characters. However, witches are real. There is the devil and there is magic being performed. So these witch hunts are actually against people who are actually practicing magic instead of innocent victims. But I appreciate that the actual hunt itself does end in the death of several innocent folks that including they have a Giles Corey, yeah. they have a Bridget Bishop. These folks are not witches. They are not practicing so, witches. So the actual witches are unknown. On the sidelines. Behind the scenes. Orchestrating this. Grand magic. They're, they're trying to get these innocent people to... to Anyway, they're producing hysteria yes. for their own gain, because if they have a certain amount of people killed by the end of whatever their deadline was, the devil was going to rise personified. So he, so he needed the innocents to die for him to gain power, which I like as a story, I, I really appreciate. Um, and like, especially as a sort of just a sideways bit of Salem. Um, however, it, it itself, I, I would have appreciated it way more if they were more historically accurate. And yeah. I, I, I don't mean, I don't mean, <laughs> I don't mean in the telling, I mean in the uh, costumes look. But I, I was just going to say, I love the costumes. <laughs> oh, God, Cotton Mather's uh, character is kind of a hunk who's 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 what's her name who's the witch mary sibley so that's another cool little little uh connection to the actual story we mentioned her very briefly i think in our introduction to 1692 episode she is reverend paris's neighbor so arguably who bakes the witch or who instructs tichaba to bake the witch cake the one who is actually practicing folk magic yeah so it's it's i (laughs) And there is a replica of the witch house in there. She basically lives in a version of the witch house. And one interesting thing, the last thing I'll mention, is in season, I don't know if this is in season two or season three, they bring in a character called the Countess. And she's played by Lucy Lawless, anyone who is a fan of Xena. That's another Mm -hmm. one my mom introduced me to. Love it. Uh, She basically plays a version of Elizabeth Bathory. I'm going to say that wrong. I think it's Bathory. But she's technically a witch and just happens to love bathing in blood to keep herself young. So I get it. I get it. Yeah, the lore is there. I like the idea. It's very flashy. Uh, the Putnams are in it. 
increased Mather shows up, which is kind of fun. I, the Alden character. I, oh, John Alden. I yeah, forgot about I can him. I appreciate, but I don't like it. They also have, and I, I'm not sure what it was called, where they were disposing of the bodies. Like They might have even called it like a witch pit or something. Yes. Yep. And I really appreciated that because the innocent victims of the trials effectively would have been left in a, in a similar state, just sort of left abandoned to the wind and the weather, just, just left where they were. However, the actual victims did not turn into no. a, a, a pool of black right. uh, stuff. I don't even know what it was. They also have familiars in there. That yes. They also have witches marks. The familiars are actually really well done, in my opinion. Yes. She, there are multiple scenes where the toad suckles from her third nipple. Right, that happens. which wasn't a turtle, but, you know, toads, <laughs> toads are fine. Uh, and the use of them. So, again, I... I the, the only thing, and it was just like a real stopping point, was like the contextual historical inaccuracies. Like and the have, fact that there's real magic. Well, like, no, I, but I appreciate that storytelling of the use of real magic and this sort of idea of what could have been going on if it was real, but put them in proper attire. She just, the dresses and the costumes are gorgeous, but put your tits away. You're a Puritan. It's not happening. Historical accuracy is not happening. And also, and I kept pointing this out, many of the brick houses, I was like, no. Oh, yes. They Stop. had so much brick. Stop the Salem's, brick houses. Salem's got brick, but they didn't have it back then. Oh, oh my gosh. I'm going to pause for a moment here and just interject another thing that we did not talk about at the beginning. And I don't even think you are aware of this because you have not left the house today. The yellow line is up. <gasps> what? Why did? Where? Sorry. It's yeah. done. When did, I was out last, when did they do it? Probably last night. Oh my gosh. So if you've been to Salem, you probably know of our, our classic red line. It's kind of Salem's version of the Freedom Trail. It hits a bunch of historical spots in town. And it has, they usually just paint it on every other year. And it has since been changed to gold. And I'm just going to say, I'm not a fan. I, I think you, someone used the word opulent to describe the color. They could have picked any other color. My friend described it as road divider yellow. It is, it's like they ran out of paint and then they went and got some of the stuff used for the road and put that down. It looks exactly like road dividers. I am so, I personally am so sad. Like I I'm yellow. I wanted someone, and I was talking to someone a few months ago, and I thought blue, like a like a deeper blue, like a like a navy blue, like a mercantile seafaring yeah. ocean blue. Ocean blue, I could do that. Yeah, would be nice. And That's freaking yellow. I hate it. Sorry. <laughs> no, I I I heard gold, and I thought gold would be a little much, but I would be okay. Yellow. No, but like it. I mean, maybe it is gold. I don't know. Maybe it's classified as gold. Maybe. Make it gold and shimmery. That That's, would have been better. I heard better. gold. I heard it would be. Maybe they're doing a second layer. I don't know. Yeah, okay. But when you come to Salem, you're going to notice a big yellow line going around the city. And that is the new Heritage Trail. So back to pop culture. Actually, <laughs> I guess you could say that's part of our modern day pop culture. Yeah. Uh, following uh, Salem, the TV show, there's another one which some of you may have seen. And I watched like an episode or two and I just couldn't. It was uh, Motherland, Fort Salem. Have you seen that? I have not seen, but I remember when it was being, uh, when the promotional stuff was coming out and I kind of got pretty excited. And um, then I read the synopsis 
meh. It sounds like a cool-ish concept. I think, and again, maybe the only part I was like horribly disappointed with was like the quality it was just sort of one of those. It's I don't want to be, sound like horribly negative, like a like a B roll, like a CW afternoon. Did they try to do too much? It just seemed like they had these like buildings and forts and uniforms and soldiers, and you know, it just seemed. I don't know. Right. So it takes place in like an alternative yeah. reality. Modern reality. Mo- well, yeah, but an alternative modern reality yeah, yeah, yeah. where witches in 1692, actual practicing magical witches, it wasn't the trials that happened. They they were able to come together and put an end to their persecution. Right. And they formed an alliance with this so-called government. I Again, I only watched a few episodes. And so then that allegiance, they now act as the military arm of the government. And so they are these magical soldiers. Which soldiers? Yeah. Operating out of Fort Salem. So like, is it actually Salem then? I don't know. I didn't, I didn't stick around. I mean, I guess if it's totally alternative, like it's an alternative reality, you could pretty much put Salem in whatever, whatever you want, whatever mold you want. But yeah, it's, um, it's another, again, it's all these shows in the last 20, 30 years when it comes to Salem. If there's magic. You got real witches in there. Yeah. Although another one of my, well, I say another one of my favorites, those two, I didn't like at all. But one that I do love, really love, uh, is American Horror Story. Oh, love that show. And I believe Coven season three is like their favorite among fans. It's like the highest regarded that in the first season. Oh, the first season was, I don't think there's been a better season since the first season. Oh, it's fabulous. Which is a little disappointing, but they've all been good. One thing, and I'm not sure we can talk about Coven in a second, but I want to tie this a little bit back to the Sabrina that we didn't talk about, or we talked the the new Sabrina. Um, The costumes in Coven and in Sabrina radically influence what people wear when they come to Salem. Oh my gosh, you are so right. Like, Talk about popular culture, like they, so many witch hats. What And and the wide brim hats and the short black dresses and the stockings and the boots and the, the collars that... Um, Just the, the dark aesthetic the, in general. It is like why you see people dressing the way they dress in Salem is because of Coven, I would say for the most part. And just like this witch culture really yeah. coming to the forefront in society right now. But it, it pushes that visual representation. Salem's yeah. in right yeah. now. And I think all of these television shows, these recent movies, have just, you know, buttressed that up. Good word. Thank you. Yeah. But no, I, I love Coven. And what, what's the narrative there, if, if I uh, so recall it ta- correctly? It takes place in New Orleans. Yes. But the idea of it is they had escaped Salem. So they so are a sister school or a branch school? They're descendants okay. from, like, the whoever founded the school yeah. was a descendant of an actual Salem witch. Who had fled Salem. Right. right, and, I, right. and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that they mention in the historical recounting of that lore that it wasn't actual witches that were executed. Yes. That those individuals escaped. So the actual witches fled and right. they killed innocent people. So I appreciate them Absolutely. for that. I like that that narrative. I also like how in 
the coven narrative, it's not like a like a I like their their magic. Uh, I think interpretations of a scope of magic within a story I always find very interesting. You've heard me bash on Harry Potter uh-huh. uh, a lot. But within this one, there are certain sets of skills that certain people develop within. So you are this, you have this skill. It is your innate magic trait, uh, which I always thought was cool. And then they sort of introduced more. I thought it went a little bit downhill when just anyone could get resurrected. But anyway. Yeah, there were a lot of resurrections. Yeah. An initial resurrection or one or two resurrections. But when it doesn't matter anymore, then I was like, okay, I rolled my eyes a little, but. Hey, I tell you, I love that season, and I think it's just about time to start another rewatch. It is spooky season after all. Well, I, I gotta say, I think one of my favorite depictions of a witch might be Misty in. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh. I'll tell you what, she definitely informed my wardrobe. <laughs> She's got a... Swamp witch. Yeah, yeah. And the attitude, she's just got like this, don't give a fuck. Love her. And an outcast. Yeah. Someone living yeah. in the woods. Yeah. Also, we should probably just give like a quick uh, going down the list here. Like we've got Salem referenced in, I'm just literally looking at this list, Bones. Oh, uh, yes. I the, read the synopsis of that episode. I love Bones. Yeah. I have to go back. Sorry to interrupt no, you. No, but no, I, Like we find it, it, there are whole shows like Coven and Salem, but then also it just gets hit in. If you're if if the idea of a witch or magic comes up, it is almost always gonna be tied to Salem. In that episode, they find two dead bodies, two sets of remains, and one of them is from a modern day witch, and the other one is from a quote unquote Salem witch. So And then what else do we got here? Uh being human on sci fi was great. Uh I guess there's a little joke in there. Uh Criminal Minds has an episode about it. Uh, Legends of Tomorrow. Oh, um, WandaVision. Yes, I. so I've never seen WandaVision. Okay. I know that's terrible because everyone says it's incredible. It is, it is but tell wonderful. me tell me about the Salem reference because it's not a long series, no, right? So, so in the scope of, and without getting too deep into comic verse, movie verse, whatever, Wanda's a witch. She's the Scarlet Witch, and it is both a character and, like, a mantle. Uh, And within the scope of what's going on in WandaVision, she's suffering this trauma, and she's going through the stages of grief. Uh, And then there's an outside influence who's trying to corrupt her and her power, uh, which is sort of like an overlaid story to her coping with the death of her husband. Um, But Agatha Harkness, who is also a witch... uh, we get a quick flashback to her story where in which she's fighting uh, against the trials, but they dated 1693. You know, I mean, I guess I'm not surprised because I've seen that number referenced, that date referenced uh-huh. in several of these pop culture interpretations, which I get it. It's spilled over into 1693. I, I think people probably do it so that it's not 1692. I would hope hope so I, I i think when i saw it initially i was like oh 93 good job not 92 i appreciate it but so that yeah but it was just real quick it was just a real flashback but even again it's just that like oh we're talking magic we're talking witches salem of, of course she's from salem yep so we probably have missed a few i mean we didn't go 
straight down our list here and talk about everything. We bounced back and forth a little bit. But if any of you listening are like, oh my gosh, you totally forgot. Whatever. Let us know. Tell us your favorite pop culture representation of Salem. Uh, We would love to hear from you. And we'll hopefully be able to incorporate some of these responses into our part two. Remember, that's dropping in three weeks. So if you do want to send in a little note, go onto our website. We've got a contact form. And in that title, the the subject line. Just put pop culture. Put pop culture. And we'll go ahead and put it in a little folder and save it for the next time. And uh, yeah, we didn't even mention uh, any comic book references. Salem has also popped up in music as mm -hmm. well. So if anything, we could probably devote an entire episode of going through these different, you know, comic books. I know you're a big comic fan, so maybe one day in the future. And I will say we got a request from someone to do an episode on, Books, uh, I think specifically fictional books that incorporate Salem into the setting. So, of course, that would take a lot of us reading. But try to do that. <laughs> but I, I get it. Like that's if you're a heavy reader and you like this subject yeah. matter, like this is a, this is important to you. So hopefully, uh, maybe that'll be our winter reading list. We'll go through some of these uh, these popular Salem books that you can find on the shelves today. And uh, we're going to have pop culture part two movies. Obviously, we've got Paranorman. We've got Hubie Halloween. We've got Lords of Salem. That one's going to be... I haven't seen that yet, yeah, so I, probably, I'm excited to uh, watch that one. And, Rob Zombie movie, if you guys haven't uh, heard of it. And Hocus Pocus. But the week following, I guess, is sort of a, a part three. Do we want to... Sure. I mean, I think they would have figured it out. Right, they should eventually. probably figure it out. We're ending part two with Hocus Pocus one, and then the next episode will be our review of Hocus Pocus two. So you'll get to hear our interpretation as two stuffy old tour guides roaming <laughs> the streets every day, how we feel about this new Hocus Pocus the movie. Return of the Sanderson sisters. None of which was filmed in Salem, but I'm really hoping they sent a crew up and just I, did a quick drive by. Well, we'll, we, <laughs> we'll talk about all that in a couple of weeks. Before, uh, before we dip out, though, do you want to mention, I've got a couple notes here about perhaps the most recent oh, interpretations well, I was gonna, of Salem. I was going to maybe secretly save that for the, the start of the next one. Do you want to? I, I, I think that would be fun. Okay. I, I think it deserves a little more time. Okay. that's Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah, yeah. We'll be... I'm going to let them know so okay. they have something to look forward yeah, yeah. to. And perhaps they'll go and watch it oh, on their own. they can go watch it and then know what we're talking about. Yeah. But Salem, of course, because it is growing in popularity every year, it was recently used as the setting for a couple reality shows, including The Bachelorette and The Real Housewives of New York City. And that one was in the middle of COVID. So that was... Uh... That one actually has three parts to it. I watched them all in one day. <laughs> and oh boy. <laughs> so stick around uh, for that as the probably intro to, to part two. Uh, but otherwise. Hope you enjoyed this quick overview of Salem in your popular culture, whether it's books, movies, TV, Salem. And as we know it, the witch city has been Woven in to our culture today. Over the course of 
several centuries at this point. So maybe it'll prompt you to go and seek some of these works out. And it may even help inform your understanding of Salem as you know it today. So thank you for joining us. And uh, I guess we get to say uh, merch link in bio or something. Yeah, we can actually finally plug plug that. So So don't forget, uh, we do have uh, our new shirts available for you guys. And the link for that will be in the show notes of the episode. Tunnel hunters unite. (laughs) (laughs) Can you going to make that shirt too? Maybe. We'll see. Uh, We'll see how much they like this one. Sailonthepodcast.com. You can get there. And we're going to put it in our Instagram bio? Yeah, of course. Okay. You can check out all those things uh, and help support us and uh, keep this show going. We appreciate you. Thanks for listening. See you later. Thank you.